Oh, 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 cheeky monkeys. Get on with it. Toppy, toppy. Hashtag Buckheaders. That's magnificent. Hello, John. Hello and welcome to a Burkham Wonderland and Arsenal podcast. Once again, they have made the ethnic do all the work and I am hosting. With me today, I have my fellow ABW ethnic. It is Mr. Mr. Jason Davies. How are you, Mr. Davies? <laughs> I'm glad you uh, Davis in the end instead of Davies. <laughs> it's Danny, Danny makes me say it. I truly want my. It grinds my gourd, that does. It really grinds my gourd. How are you, pal? You are right? I'm not too bad. Did you hear Chris's um, Welsh accent on the end of the uh, radio show the other day? I, I was listening live, actually, okay? And um, he's normally a lot better than that. That wasn't his best effort ever, was it? Um, I, I felt a bit bad for the guy. I just thought, not up to his normal high standards. He didn't plan it well. You know, it fell down in too many places. Seven out of ten, must try harder. Oh, much like five, his... five out of ten, bit like his height. Or like his football team. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> also joining uh, the podcast today is Mr. Josh Dorr. Hello, Joshua. How are you? Hello, Carlos. Uh, if we're going by full names. Yeah, that's right. I've uh, let the light in upon your full name, Carl. Uh, yeah, it's all good. Thank you. How are you? I can't complain. I am on time, like my trains. Fuck you, Fife. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and last but no means least, we have everyone's favourite journalist, Simon. How are you, Simon? Well, I thought I'm John bit... Cross was coming on. Cross <laughs> 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 pretty booked, so I'm here. Sorry. You'll have to make do. Uh, no, I'm very good, Carl. How are you? Uh, can't complain. Can't complain at all. Well, so everyone's been introduced. Let's get cracking. Um... We'll briefly touch over the Olympiacos and the other end games. Um, so we'll start off with the Olympiacos game. The team that came out for the Olympiacos game, uh, Josh, what did you think of it when you when it first came out? Oh, I'm having to remind myself of the team, to be honest. But Lacazette started, which I think was the main thing in here, that we kind of expected to see a bit of rotation across the side with you know your first-choice striker being in there and Leno as well in goal. It mean, I suppose it's almost like Arteta saying none of this cup goalkeeper nonsense. They don't really have that at uh, Man City where it was previously. But, you know, a, a scarecrow would be better in goal than uh, Claudio Bravo. So I think that's more of his case from that. But it was interesting to see him kind of take it seriously. We know Olympiacos from Champions League. And we've seen them many times and it was a difficult place to go. And yeah, I think credit to everybody involved, really, that we managed to get a 1-0 win from there. I think we're the only team to take a point or to have a win at the Empire's ground this season. So, you know, it just shows how how well we did. Simon, I mean, was you surprised to see Aubameyang in the starting lineup against Olympiacos? Um <clears throat> I'm. I wasn't really because I think we've seen or I expected from Arteta that he was really going to take the Europa League seriously. Um, I mean, given our Premier League form has, has not been great, um, even under Arteta, it's approved and, and got better. Arsenal, you know, still got sort of four or five teams ahead of them in that in that race for the Champions League places. And while the points different isn't too big, 
the fact that there's so many teams there, there's just so much traffic to get through that, you know, you need three, four teams to fall away to overtake them. So I always thought Arteta was going to go strong, name a strong team. Um, and rightfully so for me, a player at Bombiang. I think he, he's comfortably the team's best player at the moment. Um, it was interesting, I think, of Leno playing um, simply because, you know, even some of the biggest sides in the world, in Europe, rotate their goalkeepers for, for cup competitions. But the fact that Leno played, I think, is a clear indication that the Europa League is a priority. And I think this week we'll see another strong team and then rest players for the Portsmouth game. Definitely. Um, Jason, I know you didn't see much of the game, but I just want to ask you this question. Mustafi starting uh, right back instead of Maitland-Niles, do you think that that was... Sorry, so, sorry, Socrates starting uh, instead of Maitland-Niles. Do you think that's more the fact that Arteta doesn't either trust Maitland-Niles to start or do you think he just doesn't fancy him at all? I, I genuinely don't know. Um... When this has been spoken about on a, on a few platforms recently, um, when uh, t- uh, sorry, um, Arteta first came in, Maitland Niles is starting right back, and he played very, very well. You know, his performances were very good. Um, whereas under Emery, they'd been a bit shoddy, um, but the tightening up of the team that you know, playing to a structure and everybody having a goal really helped AMN. What's happened since, I don't know. Is it a personality issue? Is it an attitude issue? Is there something wrong in the background? I don't know, but um, it does concern me a bit. I'm a big I like Maitland-Niles. I really like him. I like his talent. Um, I can understand that, you know, he's very laid back on the pitch. The guy's horizontal at times, isn't he? You know, he's not an up-and-at-them guy. He's He's somebody who's, he's, you know, he, he could be almost asleep at times. He's so relaxed. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I think we've just got to wait and see, you know. Yeah. With the way we go with uh, injuries, etc., I, I can see him coming back in sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, yeah, on the Olympics cast... Olympiacos game. We got a one 0 win, and uh, we're happy about that. Do you, you expect us to proceed into the is it the quarterfinals? Uh, no, round of sixteen, isn't it, Josh? Yeah. Do you think at home we'll be able to get the job done on Thursday? Yeah, I think we should be able to get the job done. Um, in terms of Olympiacos' home form, kind of mentioned that it was all, it, you know it's basically a fortress over there. Uh, away from home, they're not as strong in Europe. I think this is our opportunity to get uh, really cement it uh, for us and continue on to the next round. The thing that does kind of worry me is how long it took us to, you know, it was 81st minute we got that goal. And it was only really Saka coming on. Well, no, sorry. It's the other game. <laughs> but it, it, we were relying on Saka again as a main creative outlet from that left-back position and seeing how poorly Aubameyang played on that right wing as well was something that I think we've really taken note of. And as Jace has kind of mentioned with Maitland-Niles and what's going on with him, I think between him and Reese Nelson, there's that kind of opportunity to back up Pepe as that option on the right wing. I have to I definitely agree with you. Um, so, yeah, so just a quick question. Simon, do you think that we'll progress on Thursday? Yeah, I think... Um... It's all set up for Arsenal to to finish the job. I think 
having that lead is is near enough perfect for them because Olympiacos, they're quite an attacking team anyway, um, but they're going to have to come out and have a go at Arsenal. And I think that will suit exactly the way that Arteta, you know, wants his team to set up and they can pick them off. The key will be that first 15, 20 minutes. If Arsenal get a goal, that'll quieten down the away fans who undoubtedly be very loud, um, set the tone. And as soon as Arsenal score, you know, Olympiacos need need three goals to try and need to score twice, sorry. And, you know, it puts Arsenal in the driving seat. So that first 15, 20 minutes will be key. But I think Arteta will go strong. I think they'll have enough and, and winning one nil away from home is is about as good a setup as you can have for a second leg. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, I'm sure Jason uh, agrees. Jason, do you think that we will progress on Thursday um, into the round of 16? Absolutely. Um, you know, look, I know we've struggled this season. I know it's not been the easiest season we've had, you know, in the, la- in the last of 20, 30 years. But, you know, this this is an, a decent Olympiacos side at home. But when you look at the quality we have throughout the squad, you know, winning away from home, I know it's, a, you know, the form we've had of recent weeks, it's a big thing for us. But it's the very least we should be looking for. You know, I'm expecting a really dominant home performance. I'm expecting us to go strong. I'm expecting Arteta now to really try to build upon performance. That's the big issue for him. You know, it's, the, it's the one thing Emery didn't do. He didn't build upon performance. And it's now, these are the games that we have to start building and really forging the identity of the team to drive forward to the end of the season running. I have to agree with that. I think, um, yeah, like everyone here, I think that we'll definitely progress into the round of 16. I think our home form has, uh, has been quite good under Arteta, and I think we kind of half got the job done over in Greece, and hopefully we can just complete the job once we're over in London. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be able to progress into the round of 16. Um, briefly touch on the Everton game. Um, Jason, I'll stick with you for a while. Um, how did you find the, the the lineup? And just talk about the first minute as well, because after that, was you have your head in your hands like I did? Um, the lineup, I, I was a bit surprised he went for Zabayos again. I must be honest. Um, the rest of it, fine, no problem. A bit surprised at Ketia as well, to be to be to be to be very honest as well. I thought we might see changes there, but. You know, he, he's going for it. He's, I think he's trying to manage the squad properly. He wants a bit more attacking play coming from midfield. And Sabayas' performance, I, I didn't see the Olympiacos game, but against Newcastle was very good. So, you know, no complaints there. The first sort of 20 minutes, actually, let alone the first minute, uh, wow, I, I, I couldn't quite believe how bad we were. Um... You know, the, the, the goal, okay, look, it happens on occasion, okay? What Kolasinac is doing, I have no idea. That upsets the whole defensive rhythm, okay? And, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got centre-halves, not sure what the hell is going on because your right-back as you know, well, so your left-back just gone MIA. You know, you, you just don't know what's going on. And, and that was, it was schoolboy stuff. It was really... Is a kick in the teeth for the team. But the lack of midfield dominance, we got overrun in our first 20. And, and, and for anybody to think that we didn't, they're joking. Okay? It's something that, 
we've got to work on as a as a squad. It's something Arteta needs to address. It's not just um, Xhaka's fault or Ceballos' fault. It's it, it's a setup. It's something we need to get right. But I mean, Kalasinac, you know, what what's he doing? If he's doing his job properly there and playing that offside line, we don't have a problem. We can defend that quite well. But because he's he, he's he's grappling inside the box um, for no reason whatsoever, it, it, all our plans flushed down the toilet. Agreed. Simon, um, did you have any problems with Calvert-Lewin's goal? I know people are saying it could be classed as dangerous play, but surely goals like that, you kind of want to see in football, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw people moaning about that, but I mean, I think we've got to... <laughs> We've got to just let him have that. I think it was a fantastic piece of skill, you know, an outrageous finish. I, I agree with Jace completely. I mean, the defending was 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 pretty poor. I mean, it was, uh, you know, needless free kick given away. Louise's head is not the best. And it was a sort of throwback to the Uno Emery era, wasn't it, where there wasn't much concentration, there wasn't much organisation and they were punished. Um, you know, credit to the to the side for coming back from it. Um, I thought Calvin Lewin had a, had a good game. He was you know, a nuisance all afternoon. He had a good chance at the end, which he missed. He probably should have taken. But that that, that first sort of 20 minutes was really um, some of the worst they sort of played under Arteta. And that's perhaps probably only been the, the thing we've lacked from, from an Arteta team is we haven't really seen them do what he wants for 90 minutes. And on a couple of occasions, we've seen a, either a poor opening or sometimes a, a poor for, for a first 45 minutes. And it's taken half time and Arteta to get into the squad for them to turn it around. And personally, for me, I think that's just a mental issue. I think that's just a concentration issue, which this squad we've spoken about on this podcast for three, four years have had issues with concentration and, and mental discipline. And I think we still see that they need, you know, assurances either at half time or in game to correct it. And fair play to Arteta is doing it, but we still haven't seen them for 90 minutes properly concentrate and properly do what Arteta wants them to do. Listen, you want to come back in? Yeah. Um, sorry, would you put that down? You know, this is class not just first start. Okay. And you're looking at a player who's not, um, let's, let's be, let's, I'm trying to be kind now. His biggest strength is not defensive. Do you know what I mean? He, mm. He's great ball of feet charging forward. Um, the, 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 the the bits either side, you know, the final ball and the defensive side are a weakness for him. Do you think Arteta spoke to him and said, look, let's just be tight for the first 10 minutes. Find your way into the game. You've been off for a while. And then he lets himself down like that. Mm. I mean, I've always thought for Klasinac, for me, he's always looked best as, as a wing back. You know, when we played three at the back for a period under Emery. He always looked best for me as wing, but I don't really see him as a left back, to be honest. I don't see him as a viable option there. And I think the fact that the club were looking at Kazerwa in January probably tells you I'm not, not too sure where Klasnach's long-term future is. And also the fact that they bought Tierney in the summer and Saka is now playing left back. So for me, you know, Klasnach really is a wing back. He's not a left back. And I think we see that in, in situations where, you know, I mean, he's wrestling with Mina 10 yards behind everyone else. He's just defensively, he doesn't think like a defender. I mean, growing forward, he's great. I think, you know, as an offensive wing-back, he's definitely an option. But for me, I wouldn't be overly surprised if he was someone who 
who left in the summer. And also given the fact he came on a free, he's guaranteed profit no matter what you get from him. So I'm just not quite sure whether he can play as, as a left-back in this team. I think he needs to be someone who plays as a wing-back with a back three, a bit like Marcus Alonso at Chelsea. I've got the same opinion on him, who I think doesn't look good as a left-back, but as a wing-back, yeah, he's, he's a great option. Which doesn't it make it a little strange that Saka looks so good in this system? Mm. Bearing in mind, he's not even a left wing-back, arguably. No. Well, I, th- I think with, with Saka, I think we've seen from him uh, an incredible level of maturity, way beyond his age, an extremely high level of concentration. And I, I know obviously people at the club knew he was a fantastic player, certainly going forward. Some people at the club aren't overly surprised that he's doing so well at left-back because I think he did occasionally, when he was younger, sort of fill in there and they believe he's at that age where you can mould him and shift him around. You know, it's different when you're taking someone who's, you know, 25, 26, 27, who's played a long part of their career in a set position. When you've got someone who's young, you know, as a teenager, that's the moment you've got to mould them. Um, and, and I really think with Saka, we'll see what happened with Alexander-Arnold, where, you know, when he was in the youth team, Alexander-Arnold's the centre midfielder, he's the next Steven Gerrard. Oh, he's going to play right back for a bit because he's going to get in the team there and he'll stay there. And I think the same will happen with Saka. It'd be like, oh, you know, he's a winger. He wants to play there. He's going to play left back. He can get in there. But for me, he's he's that good at left back. I think you just make him a left back now. I think I, you have to do that. I think as well, if you if you look into it, okay, you know, we've covered him well when he has gone forward because we know he is going to get forward quite a lot. You know, the the coverage. You know, we've been very aware as a team. But let's slot back in. Let's make sure we've got him covered. But you combine that with the fact. This is a youngster. He's 18 years of age. When he goes on that pitch, he's not an experienced international like Kolasinac. So he, when he's going on there, he, he is sharp. He does not want to let anyone down. He does not want to give me the guy who stinks the place up. He wants to be the guy who's impressing at every point of the game. And I think, you know, that those extra concentration levels are really important and something we don't always look at. It can overawe some players, but for him, it just seems to, he just seems to have embraced it and gone with it, if you know what I mean. And it's all credit to the lad. Do you think that's more down to, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, do you think it's more down to his coaching under uh, Arteta, or do you think it is down to him actually, like we said, taking the opportunity and running with it Josh is this this Saka yeah yeah I think yeah as you kind of spoken about it is a case of he looks to have taken this as an opportunity he's going to get into the Arsenal side because if you look at the options ahead of him he's going to have to fight it out with well a Bamiyang you know a seasoned international who was joint golden boot scorer for last season and this season is well after the Everton game put himself back on top of that standings again and then it's Martinelli as well who another prodigious talent that nobody really saw coming from that regards has I think I would say sewn up that kind of left wing kind of side in there and I think in terms of the output that we're getting from him from left back is higher than anything we've seen at a I know we've not seen a lot out of Tierney this season. And maybe we have to caveat that we saw Tierney under Emery rather than we saw uh, Saka at left back under uh, Arteta and what will happen when he comes back. But I think it's going to be a harder job than 
some might think for Tierney to get back into this side? Because I think we're all agreed that Kolasinic isn't long for the left-back position at the Arsenal. Uh, and I think our options in terms of if we ever need to get another replacement for uh, either position on the left-hand side, we're probably going to be able to get a left winger easier than we can get a left back of equal quality or better than Saka's playing at the moment. Simon, do you see Saka's long-term future at left back or do you see him playing further up the pitch? It's a difficult one, that, because, I mean, he, he, he spoke to us in the media a couple of weeks ago. I think he spoke after the Newcastle game. We had that brilliant assist. Um, and he said then, he admitted then that he wants to play as a winger. And that's his aim, is, is to, to make it as a winger. And he's still set on that. I just wonder, you know, I mentioned Alexander-Arnold, whether he's getting to that point, Saka, where, you know, he is so good at left-back and he offers so much from there. And 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 in this modern game, you know, we, we've seen it with City, we've seen it with Liverpool, and Arteta is of that mould. The fullbacks have such a big role in the game. You know, it's really an integral part of how the team attack. I think Jace made a great point about how, how Saka gets that coverage from Xhaka in particular, who sort of drops in and feeds in there and covers the space. So, so, so for me, I think his future will be at left-back. I think he wants to play further forward. The interesting thing will be, as we say, when Tierney comes back, um, I, I get the impression I don't think he was really fully fit. Obviously, he wasn't when he joined Arsenal and then he got back and I don't think we really saw him at his full fitness again then. Um, so I think it's actually been quite good that he's had this shoulder injury in the sense that he has got really, really sharp. Um, speaking to people out in Dubai, they were saying he was doing, you know, extra one-on-one sessions. Arteta spent time with him in particular, like just the two of them working on the training ground, working on overlapping, things like that. So Arteta, I think, really is a big fan of Tierney. Um, so it's going to be interesting when he comes in, what happens there. And we saw Saka under Emery was, was effective further forward. I think we'll all remember that Frankfurt game. But for me, I, I really think... Saka will be a left-back. I just think he offers so much there. I think in the modern game, you need a complete player as a fullback. And, you know, England have one good left-back probably at the moment, I would say, in Ben Chilwell. Beyond that, there's a pretty open race for the second-best left-back. And if I was Gareth Southgate, Saka would be my next pick at the moment. Can That's I, good. Can Jace, I can that? go ahead. I, I think as well, okay, we, we're looking at pigeonhole this guy already, okay? I think he's been far more effective at left back than he has been further up because he he burst onto the scene on the wing and he did really really well and then he went off the boil. Now a lot of that was down to Emery Emery ball, so to speak. You know, you you can't fight the tide. I also think I look at Martinelli and I think Martinelli's a centre forward all day long. I think that I think Martinelli's going to end up a centre forward, but I think you look you're looking at Tierney, you're looking at Saka. You look at how um, much stress is on fullbacks nowadays, on, on the modern fullback, how Terence Trent Derby and the jock at Liverpool have stayed fit. I have no idea. They're up and down, up and down. I, I think you're going to see Saka become, you know, a, a kind of new age player. Yes, I can play wing. Yes, I can play left back. Martinelli, I can play wing. I can play centre forward. I think you're going to get a lot of interchanging of players in certain positions as we go forward. And they're at that age. You know, if we train them well, they'll do it very comfortably. 
Do you think Saka is playing so well at left back? Because like you alluded to, Jason, he's getting Xhaka to drop back in for him. So it's make, and also he's got recovery speed. So that's always going to help. Yes, you know, everything combines, doesn't it? You know, good coverage from his teammates. There's no surprise. Look, I I know um, uh, Mustafi and Louise aren't everybody's cup of tea. And I know, you know, there were a couple of rickets on Saturday, right? But they've covered the full-backs very well. Okay, Xhaka and whoever's played in midfield, whether it be, you know, Sabayos as he grew into the game on, um, uh, on, on Sunday, he showed the defensive side of his game, which we haven't really seen since he's been with us. Torreira's done it, you know, very well as well. Uh, you know, you, you've seen um, Aubameyang cover back and do very well. So, you know, as a team, we've defended a lot better. I just think, you know, I think there's been some good coaching from Arteta. You've seen a guy take, you know, good messages on board in Saka. And he's gone out to the right attitude and he's executed very well. Um, he's not the second coming of Jesus. I think, you know, we need to just calm down on him a little bit. You know, I get that I get why Simon's talking about England. You know, if you're Gareth Southgate and you know Chilwell's your only option, Saka's like a shiny new gem, and you're gonna speak about him. But for our for, for us as a club, let's just, you know take our time with him, let him enjoy his football. Let's not put too much pressure on him and let's develop him properly. Carl, Carl, if you were going to, you could only get one out of Saka or Bomiang to, to sign a new contract, who would you get to sign? Me personally, I'd go for Saka just because of his age and what you're going to get from him in the future. As much as I love Aubameyang, Aubameyang is what, 30, 31? Something along the line. So, unfortunately, his shelf life is probably two, three years max at this level. Whereas Saka, you're talking the next, what, maybe 18 years uh, that you're going to get out of him. If you, Or you're going to get a good at least 10 to 15 years out of him. So, for me, if Saka could sign a contract tomorrow for another for the next seven years I'll keep him definitely yeah spot on I agree with that I, I, I think the interesting thing will be with Saka you know obviously he's been with this club since he was eight years old um, and there's going to be the attraction of looking at someone like Jaden Sancho who's gone over to Germany other young players who've done that I mean Jace what do you think in terms of whether your Saka will stay or whether he'll fancy the prospect of going abroad. I mean, I suppose the benefit Arsenal have with him is it's not like Sancho where he's not playing. You know, this guy's playing week in, week out for the Arsenal. Look, I don't know the kid, you know, from everything you kind of hear from talk around people who know, who know the family, people who know who've met him, people in the club, etc. I, I think, I think this isn't, this this kid's not seeing stars. I think he just wants to get bet, become a better footballer. I think you've got a manager in place in Mikel Arteta who is so deadly serious about his craft, about, you know, when he was a player, he just wanted to be the best footballer he could be. Now he's a manager. That That's all it's going to be. It's about improving the team. It's about improving the culture around the club. And, you know, you've got a, a plethora of young, of young players Okay, Reese Nelson, Niketia, ESR, um, you know, you know, as well as Saka, your Martinelli. 
and if I think you, you, you're gonna, sometimes things catch on fire. Do you know what I mean? You get that, you get that bit of momentum, you get that bit of excitement, and I think we could be that club at the moment. And if if I'm a, you know if I'm back at Osaka, I'm thinking, well, you know, I get a new contract now. They sign me up long term. I'm getting minutes. I'm with a young inspirational manager he's taught me so much already i don't need to go anywhere you know i can still go to mum's for tea relax and enjoy myself um I, i think there's a lot of positive things happening at this club i think it's city you know you look at the whole city circus it's a very it was a very difficult very different decision for sancho how would you get in ahead ahead of the likes of um sane How would you get in ahead of the likes of Sterling? We don't have that problem here. There's going to be enough game time for everyone, and so I think I think that would be a major player in the, in the decision. He stays. Josh, do you think the same? Do you think that um, he's going to sign a new contract? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a huge rush as everyone's kind of making out. There is, if I'm right, eight, he's got 18 months left on his current contract, and. It still takes us to 19. We can't lose him in a January on a Bosman like we could do with Ramsey or so. They can't sign for another team until their contract is actually up. So from that kind of respect, it's it's not as crucial. I think we should totally sign him up as soon as possible. But it is that kind of case of what's the player want to do? Can If he sees his long-term future at left wing, He's going to be seeing what Aubameyang's doing, to be honest, because if he wants to play 30 games next season, he's not going to get them at left wing if Aubameyang and Lacazette stay, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I I, I, I have to agree with you, I guess, because surely you're going to be looking at Aubameyang. That's going to be the decision you're going to have to make. If we want Saka to play further forward, do we get rid of Aubameyang this season and then play Saka further forward But that's a whole range yeah. of things you need to look at because there you're thinking, okay, if we do get rid of Aubameyang, are we keeping Lacazette? Should we get rid of Lacazette? Are we going to buy someone else? How much money are we going to get for Aubameyang and or Lacazette? It's, there's a lot of permutations, I guess, to that. Yeah, and we can go full 2005 and thank our uh, neighbours on the other side of London in blue for creating a precedent in terms of how much they're playing these young players in what Chelsea did with Hudson-Odoi. The deal that he's on is just absolutely obscene. And, you know, I don't think in any month of Sundays we're playing a young player like Saka over a hundred grand a week to be at the club. And he's going to see that, his agent's going to see that, and that's going to be a leverage against us. And is someone else going to come in? It depends on the sides. I know Hudson Adoy was chased by Bayern. Bayern are probably going to need another winger again. Are they going to come back in? And this time they're going to target one of our players it's something that you could see happening the kids got that kind of talent that the big teams are going to start sniffing around from the rest of Europe I mean we've seen or heard it already I mean I know Simon can come in on this I'm sure there was rumours in the press that Liverpool were interested in Saka yeah I think near enough every big club will be will be sniffing around him because he's he's that level of talent um And I really, really think I, I, you know, I'm firmly in the boat that he's a, his contract is a priority over over a Bomiang. I think, you no, know, it's, it's great if they can get a Bomiang to stay, but 
if at the end of the day you have to sell him in, you know, sell him this summer, you're probably going to get with a year left in his deal. The club will probably want 60. They'll probably get 50 million pounds, which is good money. You know, if you're forced to sell Saka this summer because he's not going to sign a new deal, I know he's a great talent, but you're still not going to be getting huge money. I mean, when Sancho left City, I know I keep using the example, but he went for sort of 10 million pounds given his age. And he's worth 10 times that now. And I really think if you lost Saka now, you're losing a player who easily could go to Germany and in two, three years be worth, you know, 80, 90 million. So I really think it is a priority. I I completely agree with Josh that I I really cannot see Arsenal being the sort of club who gives £100,000 to an 18-year-old. It's just not the way they operate, A, from a financial viewpoint, and B, from a way, you know, young players just do not get that sort of money thrown at them simply because... You know, what does it make you work if you're an 18-year-old and you're suddenly given £100,000 a week? You know, you've got to earn that money. Um, but I think the key for Arsenal will be saying to, you know, Saka, look, you're a young player. The money will come. The game time might not if you leave. And look, if you stay here at Arsenal three, four years, you're going to play regularly. And I, and I think that will be the key to it. And Arteta will have a, a massive role in that because he's already developed him. He's already helped him. So I think that that will be their key arm will be that, look, you're playing here in a team week in, week out. The money will come eventually. You don't need to rush right now. You're 18 years old. And and he's got a very good family around him, Saka. Um, you know, he's he's someone who's been courted by Nigeria as well. And he speaks to his dad a lot. He's got agents around him. He's at the same agency as, as Nelson, Sancho and Ketia, which is why a lot of this talk about Germany comes in. But he's someone with a good head on him and a good family around him. So I really think they will take their time over this and I think they'll do what's best for his football, not less for his best for his bank balance. I have to uh, agree and hopefully, you know, we all want him to sign and hopefully he will. Um, I'm going to move on now to another subject and um, we've on to our manager. So for me, he's, you know, he's had the same sort of players that he we had from the start of the season. So why is it that Arteta has managed to get much more out of these players than Emre has. Uh, Jason, I can I can see the cogs turning in your head that you want to answer this one. I, I, I just think he's given them direction. I, I think he's got a plan. He's got an, uh, you know he's got a vision of how he wants to play. I think you could see by images from training and Unai Emery, things had gotten gotten confused. There, there wasn't a clarity of message. So, you know, when, when there's no clear message, when there's no clear plan going into a game, when you're, you know, you're muddying the waters week in, week out, confusion and misunderstanding becomes poisonous. I think that that happened, not this season, I think it happened towards the end of last season. You could see it in our performances, you could see it in the body language of players. Um, you know, we should have gotten rid of Emery in the summer, to be honest with you. I, I feel for the guy, but screw him. You know, Arteta's come in, he's got a vision, he's got an understanding of how to get there. He's looking at our players and he's playing their strengths. It's all simple stuff, but, you know, asking um, Lucas Torreira to be a DM and not a, a, ball, a ball-winning midfielder high up the park in a, in a 10 position, it's not rocket science. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, you, you look at sort of um, players' performances under under Emery, they're confused, they're jittery. You know, it's it's like a golfer with the yips. Our centre-backs, 
didn't know they were coming or going. You look at the amount of shots we got on target. He's tightened everything up. He's put players in more comfortable positions and he's allowing them to flourish. I Josh, don't, what? Sorry, go on. I, I, I don't think Mikel Arteta is a genius. I just think he's got an idea of how he wants to play the game and he has an idea of how to get the best of the players and he's doing simple things very well. Josh, why do you think that Emre did get it so wrong? I think the difference is the personality between the two managers, to be honest. I think uh, Arteta's come in with a bit more arrogance. Uh, he's been, you know, at City, he knows English football. Uh, I know that you'll say, you know, some people will say, oh, it doesn't really matter when it comes to kind of players, but he knew the Arsenal structure already. I think that's a big thing that he knew how he worked. So when he came in, he knew he kind of had that backing. This is also his first job as well. So I think he want, he's got that motivation. Uh, a bit like we were saying about Saka and you know handing him a contract where he thinks that's it, he's done, and he loses that hunger. Emery getting the Arsenal job almost seemed like that kind of thing. That you know, that's almost like his last big job. You know, it's a big payday. He's made it to the Premier League. He's just got to sustain it. Uh, whereas Arteta, you know, he's got a point to prove now. Uh, one, we overlooked him for the first uh, round when we got Emery in. So he's got a point to prove versus us. Maybe he's got a point to prove to someone, especially in the media, with the Pep Guardiola going, was he just the guy who put the cones out for him? I think this kind of whole thing was the main reason why uh, this kind of happened. And the fact there's respect for him as well which probably comes from the fact he was captain of the club for so long, is he comes into the back room and there's already that established kind of clique almost. You know, we're hearing the stories from the training ground under Emery that everyone was taking the piss out of him. That's not going to happen under Arteta because he's already got mates there. You know, people in softer services like non-footballing things, you know, the people in digital marketing team or the people in the ticket offices, they already know him. They already liked Arteta. Whereas under Embry, you know, they, that kind of, they were allowed to breed that negative atmosphere. Whereas I think there's like a safety net around Arteta where that's not necessarily going to happen. Agreed. Simon, I don't like to think that players down tools, but do you think there was an element of that ha- happening <clears throat> under Emery? Um, I, th- I think the key is is really what Jay said. I, j- I just think there was a confusion tactically and stylistically in, in how the team was meant to play. I, I think, to be honest, I think in the first first season, I think Emery got a lot of things right, to be honest. Um, you know, I think we, we, we can't overlook that 23-game unbeaten run. We can't overlook the run to the Europa League final. Um, he was getting the best out of Xhaka. But, but I almost think the sort of Everything that happened with Xhaka, you know, the fan criticism, but also tactically and not getting the best out of him. I felt like that was sort of symptomatic of everything that was going wrong. It just sort of, Xhaka looked confused. The whole team looked confused. And everything that they'd sort of worked on in that first season, you know, went away. And for me, what was the biggest surprise was just how quickly that season, you know, the start of the season, I mean, it feels, a, it feels like a lifetime ago, how it all the wheels came off so fast. I couldn't get over how quickly, you know, from August to November, 
everything Emery had built had just, you know, completely crumbled. And I think that was down to the foundations not being as strong as what Arteta is trying to lay now. Um, I think we've seen him go in there. You know, discipline is incredibly hard. We saw everything happen with Guendouzi and pulling him up on that. You know, he's he's easily happy to bench Lacazette if he needs to bench him. You know, Emmy Martinez has been the cup keeper in the Europa League. Nope, you're out. Leno's playing in. I'm playing my number one goalkeeper. You know, he's a guy who makes decisions and he sticks by them. And I think the players have responded to that because even under Emery, there wasn't that same level of discipline. We know about the back end of the Wenger reign, again, players being indulged a bit. And they've responded to that being laid down. And I think the difference we're having now with Arteta and Emery is that it's going to be laid firm foundations of exactly what he wants to do and a bit more of a steady process. Whereas I kind of feel with Emery, he just sort of tweaked it a bit in that season and got it pretty good, almost winning the Europa League. But it wasn't laid as a long-term project, which is which, which is what I think Arteta is doing now and why I think he's going to have more sustained success than, than Emery did. Just on just on that, guys, you know, if you, if you look at that unbeaten run, look at the amount of times either Lacazette or Aubameyang saved that unbeaten run. You know, the, the Cardiff City home game, the Fulham home game. Okay, as 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 Simon said, okay, you know, these things weren't built on firm foundations. They were built on poor performances, but having goal scorers and match winners in the team. Okay, when you come through to the Valencia games or maybe Napoli away, it's a great strike by Lacazette. Lacazette and Aubameyang in the in the Valencia games were they were magnificent, okay? But you know, you, you had Rambo go down injured and all of a sudden your midfield fell apart because you haven't got that B to B ability and the engine to go there. But I think as well, one of the things that we kind of haven't looked at is you know. Over the summer, you had Darren Burgess go. You know, you you've had um, Sven Mislintat go. A lot of the backroom staff went as well, and so that feeling, you know, that lack of stability, must have played a part in there as well. Yeah, but also the like a generational thing as well uh, of managers of the same kind of age as Emery. Look at the kind of core of we almost call them like that, um, like Quartester of um, or Quartet of uh, British dinosaurs. You know your Alan Pardews, your Sam Allardyces. Um, who was the other ones? You know the kind of group I'm talking about that yeah. used to rotate in and out of British clubs. Alan Pardews had to go to what bottom of the Eredivisie? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in there now. Um, Allardyce is still out of a job. These kind of play um, managers of this kind of age have stopped really getting jobs. And you've got this kind of gap where you've either got like a Roy Hodgson or you've got your Guardiolas and Klopps. Uh, there's this big difference, all the young pretenders. So you've got Arteta in there now, or uh, as another kind of young manager, I suppose Eddie Howe, who's having problems at the moment. You've got Graham Potter, another kind of manager who is of this different ilk and kind of understands these young players. And I think that's where we've kind of struggled. And as you say, kind of Simon, the kind of level of discipline he's put in there, this is how these young players react now. They're not the kind of players that see like Wenger had in his day that would self-manage. You've got to be a bit more authoritarian with them. Mm -hmm. And they actually control games. I think that's that's the key thing. I think under Emery, you know, 
particularly this season, we saw it, but it, w- it was an evidence a bit last season. But some of those matches were so end-to-end. You know, it was, it was like watching a game of basketball. It was ridiculous how it was going up and down. And as much as anything Arteta's done, the key thing is I, is I watched nearly every game he plays so far and you can see the team controlling the game as much as they can. I think Everton, the first 20, 30 minutes is one of the few times where they've gone, oh, hang on here, they're not really in control here. But other than that, they are in control of the game. And yes, at the moment, I think the attack still needs work. I think it's still over-reliant on a bombing. It's it's not yet fu- fully functioning, but the team is controlling games. And that's why they're looking more solid in defence, because they're actually controlling the tempo, controlling the pace of the game, instead of playing what under Emery became end-to-end football. And, you know, we saw the games against Southampton, Wolves, 20 shots on goal. That's never sustainable. Eventually, it'll catch up on you, as it did this season. Well, it's interesting that we, uh, sorry, Jess, that you kind of say that about Xhaka as well, that you can almost use him as a barometer for how we're playing, that you're saying he looked confused. Well, that was directly at the same time that we were playing confused football. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that creep in under the latter end of Enger's era as well, that we weren't playing well because Xhaka wasn't playing well. Xhaka's now playing great again after Arteta's kind of brought him back in and we're playing well. Uh, is that anything, because I know you spoke to him this week as well, mm. is that something he kind of alluded to? That no. I, I, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing with Jack is I always remember being told um, by my colleague, James Olley, who I work with, he always told me about Xhaka that when he sort of first came under Wenger, he struggled a bit. I think you'll probably know this, Josh, but work, he worked with someone like Lucien Favre who would mm. coach him down to the, you know, the nth degree on the training ground and shift him from, you know, stop training, right, Xhaka, you need to be two yards to the left, two yards to the right. And, and Wenger was very much, you know, go play, go play. And Emery, under the first part of last season, I think we saw he was coaching the team, drilling them quite well. But as soon as Xhaka sort of lost that, he sort of lost his way again. And he's, he's a player who is who I think is a good player, but perhaps like a lot of players now, he needs coaching, he needs drilling, he needs to be told what to do. And I think he's got that again now under Arteta, who is, you know, properly telling him how to play the role because you know, Arteta did a similar role as a player. And that's what I think he's really benefiting from. And I think I think we, I, I personally didn't understand until I spoke to, to Granite was, I mean, really how close he was to leaving leaving the club um, at the start of January. Uh, we obviously saw the reports that came out that he was ready to go back to Germany. Um, you know, he was emotionally hurt by everything that went on. And, and we can get bogged down in terms of who was right, the fans are right. But at the end of the day, you know, this was a human caught in the middle of something far greater of his, you know, his getting messages on social media saying, you know, we hope your wife has a miscarriage. We hope your baby's born with cancer, this sort of stuff. And it all came to a head. And Jacker was always the lightning rod for the Emery criticism. He was always the one who brunt, who brought the brunt of the, you know, the anger and frustration. And I really think, you know, it is massive credit to Arteta that he's still at this club because he was so, so close to wanting to leave at January, particularly at the start. And it was credit to Arteta that he sat him down and said, look, no, 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 trust me, stay, wait, we can work through this. And that reintegration has almost been so seamless that we haven't really spoken about it. You know, no one's really noticed it. It's just happened so seamlessly. And that's probably one of Arteta's biggest strengths that he's done, that he's brought Xhaka in and no one's noticed it. It hasn't been a big fuss. It hasn't been a big fraud. It's only now that Granite's spoken that we've realised, wow, you know, to get him to come back into this team was, was something really special and, and is the biggest example of Arteta's man management and why he is so important to this club. But, but I think if you, if you, if you look at 
you know, it's not just granite, it's Mustafi, it's Ozil, mm. okay? The the resurgence in the, in the form of those three players, David Luis as well, but, you know, he hasn't been, because he's only just joined the club, you know, he hasn't been such a lightning rod for Fananga, obviously. But if you look at the bravery that Arteta has shown, okay, the, the self-belief he has and his ability to get the best out of what we know are good players. These guys aren't mugs. You know, these are good footballers. Arteta's self-belief, his bravery and his ability to communicate clearly with players is all playing a part in, in the resurgence of the players and the team. You know, you I go back to the, the, the Fulham at home game, okay, last season. Horrible weather, it's a Monday night or Wednesday or something like that. The performance, it was part of a winning streak, was so god-awful, you know, and that was just a barometer of how we were as a team at that time. You're now looking at foundations being built properly, you know, a base of performance, players coming back into form and we're building as a team. We're still a work in progress and we're going to be for a long time. But, I, you know, my hat's off to Arteta. I, I just, he wasn't my first choice for the job, but my God, you know, I, I, I'm firmly in his corner. Yeah, he's I mean, made that spine less erratic, hasn't he? Basically, yeah. in terms of players. I know Gwendouzi isn't everybody's cup of tea, Jason. Uh, but in terms of the kind of having him in there as a, a mainstay of that midfield under Emery, you know, it caused confusion for that back too as well because they're not sure what he's going to do. Yeah. Because to be fair, Gwendouzi's not sure what he's going to do. But instead, they've now got Jacka Torreira was integrated into there. It's made that back four or that defensive unit anyway a lot calmer. I think that's where we've seen Mustafi kind of get his resurgence. It's a... Don't worry, mate. It's not just you. Yeah. And, and, and as well as that, okay, if you look at, you know, when Gunduzi came out on, on Sunday, I thought, oh, no, here we go. And to be fair, okay, we did allow chances. They weren't his fault. He was asked to carry the role by Ateta, and he did it, and he nearly created, you know, uh, the goal to seal it all in, in doing what he was asked to do. So that, that's really good as well. Carl, you know, you've been you're presenting this now. What are your thoughts on this, mate? Because you know, you're asking all the questions at the moment, but what's your opinion? I think Arteta has done wonders. And this is why I asked the original question, because uh, for me it's it's almost like you have a business and your business is failing, and then what you do, you bring in a brand new manager to try and motivate the staff, and then for somehow that new manager manages to get great performances out of the staff, and they're doing exactly the same job, and they're they're just doing it differently. I think Arteta for me has brought back a bit of self belief in players. You know, like uh, Jason, I think you alluded to. You know, you had Torreira playing high up the pitch. As much as we, we really love Torreira, we love when he gets up there and, and everyone will remember his goal against Spurs last last season, the season before, I can't remember which one it was. Um, you know, we love that. However, he was the best defensive midfielder in the Italian league in Serie A. Why did 
do we think that we can bring him to Arsenal and change him into a different player? Surely, if you bought the player because of his defensive capabilities, why would you not play him in that position? That is, it's things like that which I don't understand. So for me, Arteta, like people have said, he's gone back to basics. Arteta said, do you know what, Torreira? You're good at defending. Do you know what? We're going to play you in the defensive midfield area. Even the whole Ozil thing, which no one's kind of mentioned, that whole nonsense with Ozil and and Emre was absolutely ridiculous. It, it was almost like a circus. And you know, for me, it almost seemed like Emre was playing that I'm the boss, I'm going to tell you. It's almost like he didn't want the star. And, you know, at the time, let's face it, Ozil was the, the star attraction. Uh, arguably our best player, you know, we can argue against that. But, however, it was almost like he didn't want Ozil to play. And even that in the squad, that was nonsense because I'm sure even the players wanted Ozil in the squad. But because Emre had some vendetta against uh, Ozil for whatever reason, you know, we'll never know. And Ozil's now come back in the squad. No, Ozil's not perfect. He, he's, he, he has games where he's good and he's bad. I think his last two games, he's been very, very good. I think against Everton, I thought he was magnificent. He ran himself into the ground. He, uh, you know, I'm not part of this whole style. Oh, Ozil covers, the gra- covers so much ground, blah, blah, blah. It is what it is. However, I think on Sunday against Everton, Ozil, that was probably one of his best games. He, although he didn't get assists, I think he was everywhere. And, you know, he did tire towards the end. And for me, that just shows how good Arteta is. He can come in and a player who basically was on the fringes, never in the squad, to coming back. And like I said, I am no way saying that Ozil is the great player that he was. I, you know, he has lost a little bit and it is what it is. I don't think Ozil will never get back to what he was. However, you got a player who is or was one of the greatest uh, passers in the game of football today. And for some reason, he wasn't playing under Emery, but as he's coming under Arteta and playing well. So for me, that just shows that it just, someone who come in and bring a bit of belief into the squad and everything can change around. Like I said, he's got exactly the same amount of players as Emre did. There's nobody new, um, but he's getting better performances out of these players. So surely that just says that, I don't want to badmouth Emre. I know Simon, like he's, Emre's been saying a few things in the press and kind of, I don't want to say badmouthing Arsenal, but he's been letting it know that, you know, he's trying to say that he wasn't to blame for the bad results. Yeah, I mean, Emery's, he's firefighting a bit because he knows he's got to get he's got to get another job at some point. So um, I think he's been pretty forthright in saying, you know, it wasn't my fault, it all went wrong. But I think, you know, having a dig at the player's attitude and questioning their, their output is probably not the best way to go. And I think David Luiz was quite restrained and, uh, you know, magnanimous when he sort of, refuse to bite on it but I mean you touched on the Ozil thing there Carl I mean Josh you'll probably know better than the rest of us but does this not ring true with what Emery sort of did at PSG where he tried to take on Neymar and it it almost feels like I don't know the Ozil one kind of felt there were games they were playing where Ozil wasn't playing and it was like he's definitely good enough to be in this team you're not picking him out of some sort of statement or you want to take on the big gun in the dressing room, make a point. And it must have been the same at PSG because you'd obviously just pick Neymar because he's 
one of the best, you know, five, ten players in the world. Yeah, he took on the wrong clique, I think. I think that's the problem, that because he was so overly reliant on Kalasinic as well, it's, you know, you're still going to, you know, uh, they're best mates. We saw from the video that came out at the beginning of the season with Kalasinic and Ozil in uh, London with that incident. You know, they're good mates. Uh, Mustafi is also part of that group as well. You saw the same of when, unfortunately, PSG, that you know, that's a bigger kept the shit, that one to deal with what was going on there because not only is Neymar got the big, you know, got Danny Alves there, the big Brazilian contingent, Marquinhos, uh, Thiago Silva's there. All of their star players have also got a route straight around the manager, straight into the uh, chairman because the chairman, of course, they want to be mates with Neymar. It's Neymar. This is all the same at Chelsea with, you know, how Terry, Lampard and Drogba all had near to Abramovich as well. So if they didn't like a manager, they had direct phone lines straight up to Abramovich because they're Roman. Do you want to come over for tea? And they just chat about it and say, oh, by the way, you know, Ranieri, get rid of him. And that's, I think that's one of the problems. Obviously, Ozil didn't have that much level of uh, swing at Arsenal, but it didn't help him trying to take out one of the creative thorns from the side, which I'd also say, to be honest, Ozil has declined as a player. He was right to bring him out, I think, at that time, but he didn't get the rest of the team to compensate. It's a bit like, you know, when we lost our VP, we lost all those goals, but we weren't 30 goals down that season. We replaced them. You know, people kind of added and got us extra goals in from other points of the park. You know, Ramsey gave us goals after he left. Uh, we brought in, is it Giroud came in. Uh, with Giroud, we didn't have what did we? Uh, RVP leaving, yeah, he'd gone oh, he had, yeah. by then. Signed, signed, uh, yeah. Podolsky as well. That's yeah, and Podolsky. We we got that kind of uh, we replaced the goals. We've never really replaced Ozil's assists, which I think is where we've kind of struggled and why we've kind of brought someone in like Pepe uh, and why Saka's so important to us at the moment because he's replaced Ozil hasn't assisted, uh, you know. He's got one assist this season. It's, one assist, one goal. Uh, yeah, it? yeah. And we can continue finding stats to make it seem hilarious with various different players, including goalkeepers, who have got similar numbers of assists this season. But it shows that he's not that final ball merchant that he was previously. He's now either getting more involved further back in the field or he's not really involved in our best moves. No, no one's. Uh, I guess no one's arguing that Ozil has declined as a player, and it happens to the best of us. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's inevitable. I think the only thing why it's highlighted so much is because of his wage. I think if he was not on three hundred and fifty grand or whatever he is on, I don't think anyone would really be talking about Ozil so much. I think it's just the fact that he's on such such wage, and people would think, well, if you're on that wage and you command such high wages you should be doing more mm, th- there is an argument for that I guess however y- you can't it- it's nature isn't it you're not going to be the same at 31 as you are at 21, 22, 23 when you're at the height of your career you you were playing with the likes of you know Ronaldo, Benzema when you're at Real Madrid 
you know, as much as I love our players, you're not playing with those sort of players. And he, uh, so it was easy to assist someone like Ronaldo because Ronaldo would guarantee you minimum 50 goals a season at Real Madrid. That's what Ronaldo did. And as much as, uh, as good as Aubameyang and like as they are, they're not going to give you 50 goals. Well, I think what we see with Ozil as well is, I know what you're saying with the kind of decline, but I also think just the hunger went from him as well. The, to say, if you look at his career, you could get pretty close to say he's completed football. You know, World Cup winner. We saw Mertesacker said he had to retire early because he completely lost his hunger from it after he came back from that World Cup winning campaign. And he played, what, six minutes of the whole tournament? Now, if a guy, Ozil, was in the whole thing, and yeah, he was a couple of years younger, I think that's the biggest problem is he's had this kind of gap where he's gone... What do I do now? I've got this huge wage. Great. Do I really fancy going somewhere else? Um, because is winning the Champions League, is that going to be... He wasn't going to do that at Arsenal. But is that really as good as the World Cup? I don't know. I've never won it. So I can't really say. But from a player point of view, winning such a high trophy, how do you get close to that kind of feeling again? The FA Cup clearly wasn't that kind of level because we won that after uh, he won the World Cup. But I, th- I yeah. think as well, if, if you add into the mix, okay, you're watching confusion being communicated on the training pitch. You're watching a total dearth of creative football when we play. You're watching Nicolas Pepe come in, not played, left on the bench, you know, not allowed to flourish, not put in positions to succeed. And you just kind of think, well, this is a joke. You know, I've I've worked under Mourinho, I've worked under Ancelotti, I've worked under all these players, these managers, etc. And now we've got Coco the Clown. You know, at some point, you, you, you're just going to turn and say, well, do you know what? Screw it. You know? It just seems odd, because it's not like we didn't score goals under Emery. You know, and he got less than a handful of assists of that in those goals. I, th- I think the attack, the attack's an interesting, an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing a preview for the game tomorrow, which, um, you know, I, I, I always remember Arteta was in that team where, you know, Van Persie. They were so reliant on Van Persie that Arsenal team before we left that last season. And look at the stats of it, and you know, that team in 2011, 2012. Van Persie had scored 37 goals in all competitions for the team. And the next in the side was Walcott with 11, then Arteta himself with six. And this attack at the moment is so reliant on Aubameyang. And I really think that whether he stays or whether he doesn't, they need to find some sort of way to try and share the load a bit. I mean, we see it with Liverpool, you know, Sané, sorry, Mane, Salah, Firmino all chip in, City... You know, I haven't even noticed Leroy Sane. And and that Arsenal team, the next season when Van Persie left, you had four players in double digits. You had Walcott 21 goals, Giroud 17, Podolski 16, Cazorla 12. And I just feel the attack for me, I think Arteta's done well with the defence. I think Luis Mustafi's great. I just feel the attack at the moment is still a bit Emery-esque, where it's just like, oh, Bomiang will bail us out a bit. And, and I haven't really seen, and I think Ozil could be key to that, as we're saying. But at the moment, I haven't really seen enough in attack for me to get my Arteta imprint and what he's trying to do, I still feel a bit, it's like, yeah, Bomiang will save the day and score a couple of goals. 
Yeah, just, just looking through the stats. Sorry, uh, was looking through the number of goals we've scored. You say Aubameyang, yeah, we've got he's got nineteen goals this season. Next one's Martinelli on ten. Yeah, I think that's just yeah. What do you think? That's down to Lacazette not playing as well as he could, maybe should do. Mm. Yeah, I think Lacazette, Lacazette needs to step up hundred percent. Mm. Yeah, he's got the same number of goals. Uh, sorry, he's got eight goals. Uh, in the same number of appearances as Martinelli this season, but but you you look at you know you look at sort of Lacazette's strength since he joined the club. You know, he likes he likes being the link man. He likes runners coming from deep. We don't have that anymore. You also see you know the um, the deterioration in Ozil's contribution. You know there's there's no more goals coming from midfield, deeper midfield anymore. So the spine of the team, we don't get goals. From the spine of the team, it's all from out wide, and you know he's not a great head with the ball. He's always been a good link man. You know, you, you saw the amount of goals we spins and 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 you know this dead eyed shot, etc. That's not been happening, and I think there's there's culmination of factors which have you know and the outcomes being the form that he's shown since since sort of November December. It's really worrying, you know. You're gonna to have to find a solution for it because I got a feel. You know, we we all kind of gonna have the feeling that one of them's gonna go. You know, Lacazette's not gonna be worth a hell of a lot with the amount of goals he's got in his back pocket, unless a club really, really wants mm-hmm. him. Aubameyang, are you gonna get the true value for him? You know, I I I I'm I, I'm a firm believer in Martinelli. I really am. I think you know we got a hell of a prospect there. But you know, if you could bring Haaland into that squad as well, leave them both go. You know? <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm, I know there's a dearth of top top strikers in Europe at the moment, but I'm I'm, I'm struggling to think who's going to come get Lacazette right now. Personally, Atletico, and that's it, isn't it? No, it's not even Atletico. Cause look who, no, because look at who they've got as strikers. They've got Morata, Diego Costa, um, Joel Felix that they spent 120 million pounds on. Is that the cat uh, food? Yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, they've got a dearth of strikers as well that they've got to try and move on. I mean, maybe PSG if Cavani goes, or dare I say it, Chelsea could do with a set. So then they've got a Cardi, haven't they, coming in? Yeah. So you're looking at it, and it was interesting because I think it was the Mirror that reported that Lacazette might move on if we don't secure Champions League football. I can't think of a single side in the Champions League at the moment other than maybe Olympiacos, because they started there, that oh, oh, he would be going to. Right, boys. I've got a city in mind, okay? Right on. In love to spank some money and some bad players. On Premier League players, yeah. 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 And, and then you've got AC, who there's some map bet there, who, you know, he checked for Charlie. He'll sign him. <laughs> you know? oh, oh, your old mate Ivan, he's over. Oh, 200 million for Aubameyang and Lacazette. <laughs> You know, spent 100 million on Haaland. Okay, cheerio, lads. We're going to strengthen the midfield I, as well. I, I tell you what, though. What about what about Carl? Um, let's come to you on this. What about Eddie and Ketia? Because he's probably been one of you know the most interesting stories since Arteta came in. Because we knew he got recalled from Leeds. It was nailed Donny was going out on loan. He got recalled. He's played. He's scoring goals. For me personally, Carl, I'm not convinced he's going to make it at Arsenal. What do you think? I'm kind of saying, we, we had a brief discussion on um, on the show on Sunday after the Everton game. And I, I, I would, 
I'd keep him at Arsenal as a backup player, but whether I would ever trust him to start, you know, like, would you ever trust him to start against Tottenham or Liverpool or a, a team like that? No, you wouldn't. Um, like you, Simon, I don't think he'll make it at Arsenal. I think he will, he, his future lies away from Arsenal. And the thing is, you look at him and he, he's come in and, you know, he, he obviously scored against Everton and, he, and Arteta has seen something in him. However, there's just something that, do you think that he would be doing much more? And uh, do you know what? I can't tell you what more he needs to do. Uh, uh, you know, he's scoring goals. He's making chances. And at the moment, would you say he's playing better than Lacazette? No, nah, Lacazette's kind of on the rise now. You know, he's got two goals in his last two games. So, you know, he's getting better. But I just, like you, I just don't think Nketiah is going to make it our Arsenal. And you know, it's the dream. I'd love him to be there, you know, someone to come through the academy, scoring goals. I'd love him to be, you know, the next Van Persie, the next Ian Wright, the next whoever. However, I just can't see it and I can't tell you why. Like, you know, is it because he's, you know, he's a little slight, you know, does he need to beef up a little bit, but is that going to ruin his game if he does that? I, I just think that if he was going to be in the squad, he'd be in the squad by now properly. I just think that he was a stopgap because... I truly think when Arteta first took over, I think he even he saw it. He saw that I can't just rely on Aubameyang. I think even when Arteta first came in, Lacazette weren't doing really much. So he's probably looked at that and thought, well, Lacazette is kind of struggling a little bit and I've got no cover. Yes, he could have played Martinelli, but for some reason he didn't. But yeah, I just don't think he's going to make it by Arsenal. So I think on Martinelli, this is one of the weird thoughts I have in the shower and I'll quickly clear it up oh, before Jesus. it goes anywhere else. <laughs> oh, what a thought. Oh. Was we got Martinelli straight from Brazil. So his season finished in January and then, well, came straight into us. So he's not really had any kind of time off from us. He came straight in and has played like an entire season. This is almost us giving him time off almost because he played the January until the summer when we got him and we've given him what four weeks off given him a couple of games here and there but we've dropped his we've dropped our reliance on him and it's almost like we're giving him like a pre-season again because he needs to rest I think that's the only reason why we've seen him drop out at the moment um, as for Nketiah I could go on for hours of why Bielsa didn't fancy him and why he won't make it at Arsenal but, but, but look I <laughs> We're looking at what we want from a player when we need to be looking at like, what are the player's main attributes, okay? If, if I'm Mikel Arteta, okay, I know, it, it, it's it's like, you know, being an awkward dad, okay, you know, trying to teach your son about um uh, about sex, okay? Here you go, lad. There's some there's some wank mags. Crack on, you know, have a look at those and you'll be all right. What he needs to do, okay? Oh, Jermaine Defoe, come down here. There you go, Eddie Niketia. Watch a load of Jermaine Defoe videos. What? Look at his movement. Look, you know, you're a small guy who's nippy, not great creatively, but will give you goals. This is your, this is the way you can develop, okay? Have some training sessions, Defoe. Bring him along that way. Then you need to bring somebody in, right? Your linker play. You've got to be stronger back to goal. You've got to be able to, you know, anticipate where your teammates are coming from. This is the work we do on the training pitch, which is going to stand you in good stead. And the next thing is you've got to be fearless. 
you've got to take pot shots. Who cares if you miss four good opportunities? If you're scoring two, you're more than often going to win the game. You know, it's, it's this sort of thing you need to look at with him. And, you know, he's obviously had a difficult time at Leeds. It hasn't gone the way he wanted it to. You know, there's this wank fest over Bielsa at the moment, and Bielsa's almost reje- has rejected him. Now, you know, that's difficult for any young player, but, you know, he's not costing us anything, really. Let's look to develop him and develop him well. <laughs> Michael Owen, Jermaine Defoe, they're players he can model his game on. And, you know, they, they, they score important goals. I mean, yeah, I mean, talking about scoring important goals, our next couple of fixtures... They're, I think they're kind of winnable. So we've got Olympiacos on Thursday, which is a round that everyone will, we know that we're going to win that world. We hope we're going to. Then we've got Portsmouth away in the FA Cup on Monday. That's the sort of game where you'd say to someone like Inketia and maybe even, like I said, go on, go and fill your boots. Um, so I'm assuming that everyone thinks that we're going to win against Portsmouth. I would say yes. It's Fratton Park. Anything could happen to that one. That's so like a win, proper... We're going to win by four. We're going to win by four. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd hope that we, even though it's away, you are hoping that we'd go to Portsmouth and you would say to someone like Inketia and someone like Martellini and someone like Lacazette, you know, go out, go and win the game. And because you're hoping that that's the sort of game that Aubameyang would not play in. I mean, maybe have him on the bench, but definitely, I, I would say there's no need to bring someone along the lines of Aubameyang. It'll be like an Enketia up top with Willock. It'll be the same as what we saw in the previous round against Bournemouth, to be honest. will be Willock at the kind of number 10 position. Um, the only thing I'd worry about is Enketia isn't great when he's up against a tight, packed defence. That Everton game kind of played into his strengths because there was at least space for him to run into. Mm. Because as we've just mentioned, he's He's not a creative player. He's not great with his back to goal. He needs someone to feed him. And while we haven't really got, you know, it'd be perfect. We had Meza Ozil. That is the perfect player to be for Eddie Nketiah. Someone that can just constantly feed him a good supply of decent balls into him. But at the moment, we've seen it with Lacazette. He's got to create his own stuff. We, you know, the creativity has got to be shared around the side at the moment. And you've got to have a bit about you at this moment in time in the Arsenal to be able to create chances for other people as well as for yourself. True. Um, after the Portsmouth game, we've got West Ham at home. Now, West Ham, they're on a, a dire and I hopefully Fabianski can do what he did against uh, Liverpool and just get a couple of goals in. I was so angry when that happened. Um, you thinking that we're going to win that. Simon, do you think that West Ham at home is a winnable game? Yeah, I think this next run of games is a really, really one winnable run of games and a key run of games because I remember looking at it when the sort of trouble was brewing with Emery and it was that Leicester game before the international break and the sort of vote of confidence came out and all this stuff. And we had those run of games after the break, remember, didn't we? It was Southampton, Frankfurt, uh, Brighton, West Ham, Norwich, all these sort of games. And it was like, oh, this is this is the is ever it, it was depending on what school of thought you said. Someone said, oh, look, this is the chance for Emery to turn it around. He's got a nice run of games, or it was, this is the run of games you've got to give a new manager because they're a good run. And Arsenal sort of missed the boat with these 
these games earlier on in the season because it was all part of the Emery downfall and the, the Lundberg interim period. So really, if you actually look at our record, Arsenal dropped a lot of points in these games before. So now they've got to take advantage of it, go and get, you know, 13, 15 points out of these next five games. Because if you look as well at the end of the season, you know, you, there's a little run, I think, where you've got Leicester, Man City, you know, Liverpool, Spurs, these sort of games to come. So they've really got to take this chance now and apply some pressure to that top four because if they don't use these five games, then any chance of, of qualifying for the Champions League via the league will be gone. I'd go stronger than that. I'd look at 18 points from six games. Okay? I think that's got to be the target. And I know it's ambitious, but, it, you know, we're, we're at a point in the season now where... You can, you know, we, we. I know we're going to talk about it a bit later, but concentrating on certain competitions. The league is your bread and butter. If we want to thrive in all competitions, you get your league form right, and that will filter through into other competitions. So, you know, I mean, I know, okay, the Wolves and Leicester games are going to be difficult. Southampton have had a resurgence in form. I know they're on a bit of a roller coaster recently, but these are eminently winnable games. You know, Leicester are at home, I know. Um, Wolves at Molyneux, that's a tough place to go. But Norwich, that's uh, that's at home, is it? Norwich is at home. Yeah, yeah Norwich, Norwich is at home. We've okay. never won a Brighton away in the league. Well, it's about time we fucking started to win there, isn't it? You know, because yeah. they're not a good side. They're not a good side. Let's send them down. You I know. mean, there's a crucial part in April when we got sort of, we've got the scum and then we literally we have Liverpool's yeah. in the league the game after that's the kind of you know you're looking at that if we can I mean even before that the, we've got Leicester so you're looking at that and thinking if we can win the games before I mean I never want to lose a game but you you got to be logical and think Spurs away is no matter who they got, even if they have got no one up front, which I, I probably think by then Harry Kane would have been given so much drugs, he'd be back. Um, <laughs> allegedly, let me just say that. Uh, that I, I think that he'll be back before then. And you know, he loves to score a penalty against us, especially if it's uh, in that toilet bowl of a stadium. Um, and then Liverpool at home, you know, they would have won the league by then, let's be honest. And you know, it, I guess that's a bit of pride because they're still unbeaten then, then there's no way, there's no way we are not going to want to try and break, be the team to break the unbeaten run. Liverpool at the moment are phenomenal, but, you know, if you're being realistic, do you think right now we could beat Liverpool at all with us home away? Probably not, but, you know, with, with a run of games and if we win and performances and belief, who knows what could happen? Uh, we also have a rescheduled City game to fit in there. That's just the to make it a little easier. Well, uh, um, probably be showing... somewhere at some point. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah to, to be confirmed. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. TBD. Yeah. I guess that'd be dependent on how far we go and they go in the Champions League and Europa Cup, wasn't it? And FA Cup as well. Yeah. They, they'll slide in an FA Cup weekend with the quarterfinals or semis if one of us doesn't make it or both of us don't make it. Sorry. It's, it's difficult. I mean, look, you know, I know. Th- you know, look, the Premier League's not easy. We know that, okay? But, you know, we our, our next league game is West Ham at home. You've got to be winning that. Then you're looking at Brighton away. Where are they in the league at the moment, Josh? Uh, they're in that kind of also runs between 11th and uh, 17th. So they're probably about 15th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, they're, they're in trouble, right? 
Yeah, the only thing I would say is they've only they've played very well against the big sides. That's okay. the only caveat. Um, they've been awful against mid-table sides. Uh, so it depends where you want to put Arsenal at the moment. I was going to say, they're playing the mid-table side, aren't they? <laughs> depends where you want to put Arsenal. But uh, yeah, they are a better side than the ones that have beaten us before under Chris Hutton. Yes. yes. I'd say on that. The, then we've got Southampton away. Yeah. Banana skin. It is, a, Patrick. it is a banana skin, but... Mm-hmm. You know what, what? What their form hasn't been great recently. They've they've had oh. that little roller coaster run. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're going to be they're going to be fighting for their lives as well. Well, they're up in twelfth at the moment. They're not far off us, are they? No. So, <laughs> so you know, you know, then you got Norwich at home, right? Wolves away, Leicester at home. Those are those are games. So you know, you've got to be ambitious in those games, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, this is the this will be the run that will decide what the end of the season is going to look like. You know these these five games, and Arteta will be absolutely aware of that. And, and it's worked out quite nicely because you know we spoke about that run where you could have had Leicester, Spurs, City. You know Arteta is going to have these five games again while he's still implementing his ideas, while he's still implementing his philosophy. So you hopefully by the end of that season, when you play those games, he's further along in terms of his progression. But these these five league games are absolutely massive, and it. You know, these were the games that we, we spoke about. They stumbled upon at the start of the season. They lost to Brighton at home. They drew at Norwich. You know, they can't afford to drop these points. So, I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a question that comes up later on, but where where this team could be, you know, if they hadn't dropped so, drawn so many games, dropped so many points. I mean, you know, still in contention of that top four, just about on points. Um, and it dropped that many points. So, it really is a pivotal run. And also this... These two games now, you know, the Europa League game and the FA Cup are also crucial. I think for me, the FA Cup is very much a bonus this season. The Europa League is the one you've really got to go for because you get to the Champions League. Great if you win the FA Cup for Mikel, but really it's about getting in that Champions League. And that's why it's got to be Europa League and League is the priority. And the FA Cup is is a bonus. And, and you look at it, guys, OK? So, you know, was it fifth at the moment? That's uh, Man United on 41 points. We're four points behind them. Goal difference is a bit of a mess. But we're only seven behind fourth. And Chelsea. And they're not in great form. So, you know, Carl, I put it to you. You know, are we, you know, you look at Mikel Arteta, you look at the kind of personality he is. Don't tell me he's not looking at fourth with greedy eyes. I mean, he is. However, I think the amount of... Yes, I think it's it's all doable, hundred percent. But if you look at the the teams above us, I mean, I look at someone like Sheffield United who literally have one game a week and they're just not getting tired. And you look at them and you compare them to the Leicester side of uh, 2016 when they won the league, and everyone was saying, "Oh, they're going to drop off. Are oh, they going to drop off?" And you look at them and they're thinking, "Well, no, they're not going to drop. They're, they're they're carrying on and they're doing well." And credit to the manager for getting them up there. Manchester United, they they're always going to be hit and miss, aren't they? Um, I think the way they're playing, who knows what Man United are going to turn up? One day they could be the team that you know draws Liverpool and does well, and the next day you could be the team that loses at home to Burnley two nil. So it, it's very weird. Chelsea are again, they're going to be out of the Champions League, aren't they? Um, soon, so they're going to on the one game a week and I think Frank Lampard if he gets them playing he'll do well however they're another team that is very very hit and miss so it's really weird with them and I think 
we're looking at it, and I know with the whole Man City thing, you know, fifth can get Champions League, but we've got to be trying to aim for the top four. It's just really difficult at the moment, just because even Arsenal, Arsenal are their own worst enemy. You can look at, like we was talking about, you can look at those run of games and think, yeah, Arsenal should win them easily. And then we go and lose at home. We go and lose away to Southampton. And you think, why, why would we do that sort of thing? I think, you know, as much as I want Arsenal to win, we, and, I, and I do, we have to almost rely on teams above us dropping a lot of points. And it is the likes of the Sheffield, I can't believe what I'm saying, the Sheffield United and Wolves, they've got to drop points. And um, it's, we put ourselves in a, in a really terrible position and it's a, it's annoying that we're down there. However, I think we had this last season, Jason, when we was talking about, should we be looking at teams above us or teams below us? And I remember having this conversation and we've got to be, the way we are, we're very precarious because we've got to look at teams above and below. I don't think we'll be dragged any lower than we are now. I, I really don't. However, we've got to be looking at teams above us to drop points and we are looking at them and hopefully we can capitalise on, you know, the fragility of, you know, who knows what Sheffield United are going to do, who knows what Wolves are going to do, who knows what, uh, even I think Everton are what, two points behind us, three points behind us, maybe something along them lines. So, it's very tight. I mean, apart from the runaway leaders of um, the, the proper side, the, yeah, and even them, they, I mean, they've got apparently no strikers. I still think Mourinho will somehow, I, I know they're talking about Harry Kane being out for the rest of the season. I can't see it. I just think that you'll somehow magically he'll come back like he always does because he always has like a seven week gap out of every season and then somehow he comes back and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back for the Arsenal game. I just think that. Mourinho is uh, a master of the dark arts, isn't he? he uh, he's not a very good manager, but he gets results. And that's the thing about uh, Jose. So he will, Tottenham will be there and or thereabouts. Helps if I fuck up as well and make sure that your best player currently doesn't get sent off. Yes, yes, yes. Bone <laughs> uh, of contention, that one. But yeah, it, it's um, so. I think that fifth is definitely gettable. Fourth, I think that may be just pushing it a little bit, if I'm really honest. I think the one thing you boys got to remember as well is, okay, if you look at the game on Sunday, okay, we've come off the back of two wins. And, you know, they've scored just before half-time. Come out in the second half and scored straight off the bat. Pressure counts. And the more we apply pressure to the teams above us, the more they're going to falter. You know, once you've got that winning streak going, okay, right or, the pressure of a, of, a, of a chasing team on form, you know, you, you've got to be excellent to be able to withhold that. And I don't think until you get to, well, actually Liverpool, I think even City have been awful this season. I don't think any of those teams can withstand it, you know. Leicester and City are too much in the bag already. But everybody else, I think, is fair game. But, you know, we go from there. Okay, um, I am going to pass it over to Josh, who is going to ask some listeners' questions. I thought I was doing fast forum. Uh, either way. Oh, right. Simon, then. Shall I do fast forum? As, uh, yeah, you, you do fast forum, and then we'll do some listeners' yeah. questions. Because fast forum was on the subject that we've just been talking about, roughly, also, that if Arteta had been our manager since the start of the season, where would we be in the table? 
So we've got a few replies in from this one. Uh, Matt L. Roberts says probably around top eight. Uh, Cactus Cash, uh, that is Richard from the live shows. He reckons we'd have dropped about nine, nine points or so. Thinks we would have beaten Brighton, Watford, Palace, Southampton. So about fourth, maybe chasing down third. Uh, Mr. Fee, who's at No Laguna, uh, was going at least top five as well. Uh, there's plenty of other games that we've so also cited in that run. He's a guy who does a um, uh, Gunagra. Does he? I think he's the guy who does a Gunagra in, um, uh, in New Orleans. Ah. Uh, who else we got in here? Someone, the Highbury Inn, which I think is one of the many, many personalities of Danny on Twitter. Uh, he said we would be second or third and Jason and John would not be on doctor's orders to avoid Arsenal until 2025. Uh, I think that's about right. I'm not sure that's explicitly what John's orders are from the doctor, but <laughs> <laughs> leave that one. And finally from Tone, who's at Tone 74662527, which I think is also John's pager number. For all the ladies out there, and they've got, he said, probably 15th. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, seems about right for that one. <laughs> and I think that was everything that I've got from Five Forum. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll give it some listener questions if people, people want. We'll start with um, all three of you guys can, can answer this one. Uh, our very own Ellis, Jose Mourinho. Sean Dice, Tony Poulis, Snog, Mary, bludgeon to death with a hammer. I mean, you don't have to bludgeon them to death, but uh, we'll start with you, Jace, and then we'll go Carl and then Josh. Oh, can I shoot myself in the head? Suicide is painless. Sorry, Carl. Uh, bludgeon Mourinho to death. He got to in it, like he's just. Oh, no. So, so why can't we bludgeon them all three to death? That's what I was wondering. Yeah, <laughs> bludgeon them all. Surely, but yeah, Mourinho's the one I bludgeon to death. Sorry, I can't. I, I just I have a, such a dislike for him. Um, and it's not been some, nothing to do with you know back in the day he was a very good manager, but I still cannot forgive him for all that Wenger stuff. Um, I. You know, I'm going to protect my own. I'm going to... I, I really have to. And uh, Arsene Wenger should have bottled him uh, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> um, well, I was going to marry Jose, to be honest, because have you seen how much he gets in those uh, settlements from clubs when he gets sacked? I'm living the high life there. <laughs> I mean, at Man United, he stayed at the Lowry, so I'm in the house on my own down in London. Sounds fucking great. With his daughter? Yep. Um, yeah. Fucking hell. Uh, although, would that be my daughter? That's weird. Hang on. This has got too hypothetical. Um, your daughter made you fine. Yeah, I'll be all right. Uh, I've seen the videos online now. It's all the rage with your stepdaughter. You've um, got a journalist on the show, and look what you're <laughs> saying. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. Oh, dear. He's um, thinking of a golf course. Don't worry about him. Yeah. <laughs> He's all right. He's going to interview Jose Mourinho and just give him this little snippet and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." What do you reckon? What do you reckon? Swap, swap left or right on this? Yeah. Um, 
I don't know between Sean Dice and Tony Poulis. Oh, um, I don't think I could bludgeon to death Sean Dice. I think his head's too like it's made of granite, isn't it? He's just gonna be too hard. I'm gonna have to snog him because I think I could actually kill Tony Poulis. So yeah, Ellis, there's your actual answers. You look a bit of ginger, didn't you? Oh, well, there we go. Uh, I am. <laughs> I think that's that. That is the probably the, the silliest question with the bunch. But I'll go one bit more serious. Um, let's have a think. Uh, right, you can all have this one as well because it shouldn't, shouldn't need you shouldn't need to carpenter the carpenter the answer. So uh, it's a question from Cactus Cash. What player were you convinced was going to be an Arsenal great, but then never made it? Mine was Fran Raider. I saw him against Liverpool in the then Carling Cup and was convinced he was going to be the next big thing. No idea what he's up to now in brackets. I'm refusing to look it up. Sounds very Danny, that. So, guys, uh, we'll start with Carl this time. What was the player you thought was going to be the next big thing at Arsenal and didn't quite Carlos make Miller. it? Mm, I remember the chip, he's, the chip king. That was the one. I remember in the League Cup, he... Sheffield United, was it? Sheffield United. I think that was it, yeah. And I thought, and I literally thought, this guy is going to make it at Arsenal. And I think that's probably one of the last goals he ever scored for Arsenal. And he just disappeared and then we sold him. And now he's tearing it up in the MLS. But yeah, mm. he's one of the, he's definitely one of the players I thought was going to make it and never did. Josh? Um, oh, I know Fran Marida's in the Spanish second division, if that helps. Uh, but who would I think? Oh, I, I've got to be on brand. Awobi. Mm, big 17. No, no, no Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, you've stolen Chase's answer. <laughs> Chase, what were you going to say, mate? Is that, is, were you going to say Ramsey as well? Excuse me. <laughs> oh, God. Listeners, oh, he's got his dolly out. Oh, Aaron. Um, is that no, a new goal? <laughs> you haven't seen the full size one he's got in his bedroom. <laughs> hey, I get candles. <laughs> um, I, there's two to be honest. With you. Ox is one. I, I really thought Ox is going to be be uh, an absolute Alison legend. And the other one, oh, oh Philip Sandros. I thought Sandros is going to be, you know, the next big centre half, and unfortunately, Drogba ruined him. And, mm. and he got a check in Eduardo, but that's just purely down to a mm. broken leg. Yeah, that was cruel. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just harsh, that was. But um, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're proper answers for you. Not talking with the club's leading all-time scorer from central midfield and mm. winning cups off his own. Mum was that lad, Serge Gnabry, but he seems to have made it elsewhere, so that's all right. <laughs> um, Let's do the... Yeah, he's doing all right, that lad, isn't he? I wonder who Tony, Tony Poulis feels now. Yeah, I wonder who he'd pick, Shoot Shag Marion, Tony Poulis, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, next question, Matt L. Roberts. Um, is there any players past or present, excluding Jace's favourite Welshman, that you would take back right now? Can make a top five, so starting eleven if you wished. All right, well, let's, let's go for one player you could have from... Let's go back from the from two thousand from from the turn of the century. If you could have one player in this team now, who would you pick? Let's start with Josh this time. Uh, you're picking. We're going to pick someone from the invincible side, aren't we? When we're given mm. that option, um, other than Jason, who's picking Ramsey, I would have. Oh, it's Dennis Burkamp, isn't it? Mm. So I think sitting in behind Aubameyang. Yeah. 
Yeah, imagine. Just imagine. Wouldn't mind a bit of that. Jace? Eduardo. Fully fit Eduardo up front. Fully fit Eduardo. Feeding off Mesut. Yeah, it's either him or Sesk. Oh, yeah. As simple as, okay? Either one of those two. Um, Fuck, I love those two. Carl? Patrick Vieira. I think. Oh, yeah, good shout. Patrick Vieira and Xhaka in the middle. And you just say to Ozil, go forward. And you just tell Patrick Vieira and and Xhaka just to sit. And, you know, Patrick could do that box to box and fill in uh, left, right. I think those two together in midfield, I'm not going to say they're going to be the next uh, Vieira and Petit, but I think they'd make a very good partnership. Tell you what, boys, murder on the dance floor comes to mind. Mm. Come on, son. Come on, scoop. Yours? Right. What in terms of who would who would I have? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh Christ. I mean, because thing is, you couldn't really have Henri because you got you know you already got Pierre doing that role. Mm. Um, I would be very tempted. For me, I would I would be tempted to have Sesk. I think. I just think he's such an all-action midfielder. I mean, I really think... I, I mean, he was great in his time he was, but I think in, even now in the modern game, I think he'd be even better when he was in his pomp. I think such a good player. And a leader as well. I mean, Vieira's a great shout because I haven't really seen a player like Vieira since he, he left. But yeah, Sesco Vieira for me. Oh, I like a Sol Campbell as well in that Ooh, defence. Yeah. Oh. Sol Campbell next to David Luiz. Sol Campbell, just for, just for, just for his... Inst- Imagine Sol Campbell in the modern era of social media and Instagram. It'd be... Oh. Oh, be a dream. <laughs> right, we got Love it. last question. Uh, there's two from Noir Confidential. Um, one of them is sort of revolved around Xhaka and Saka, which we've covered quite a bit, so I'll leave that one. But the other one is, what are your thoughts on the rumours regarding Arsenal's attempt to bring Santi Cazorla back to the club? Do you think he'll be a player coach until he joins Arteta's staff permanently? Mikel Leslie asked Santi about this when he was taking the job. I mean, the ladies with Cazorla, the club definitely want to do some sort of testimonial match. But what do you guys think? We'll start with um, Jace on this one about Santi coming back, maybe to play a bit and then become a coach, or do you kind of want to just leave that and let it go? And maybe have a game to give him a goodbye. What's your views on it? All right, he's earned enough money off us that he doesn't need a testimonial. Uh, a farewell game, fine for charity, magic. Mm, yeah, yeah, no problem there. Okay, um, you, you know, look, the, the poor guy nearly lost his leg. You know, the premiership was too quick for him when he got injured. That's the truth of the matter. You know, all this sort of rose-tinted glasses looking back at his his time in midfield. You know, he dominated one big game, truth be told. He didn't set the tempo week in, week out. He's a magic player. Um, He's enjoying himself in Spain. Let him enjoy his football. Let him enjoy his sort of his autumn years in Spain in a league that suits his skill set. Suits his physicality, and then if he wants to come in as a coach, great. But let's make sure if he, anybody's coming into our coaching staff, they got the necessary badges and they, they're great communicators and they're able to get the best of their players. Not going back looking for nonsense because we loved the player once. Okay, yeah. I wouldn't bring Aaron Ramsey back. I wouldn't. I know you know that, that that ship has now sailed. I'm annoyed with the way he left, but I wouldn't bring him back. And Santi Cazorla, definitely not. Look for the best people for the job. A farewell game. Actually, I don't even give a shit about that because guess what? Lots of players have left us without a farewell. You know, 
you know, it's, it's by the by. Josh? Yeah, I think the last I saw was it was a friendly in pre-season versus Villarreal, which you could dress up as the guys of Santi Cazorla might be there. But look, he's 35 now. Uh, he might get into the Euro squad for Spain. And yeah, I can't see any reason why we'd want to bring back a 35-year-old player to be in the mainstay of our midfield or even just to play a bit part in our midfield. We, you know, we've got young guys coming through the academy like Joe Willock. Uh, we've already seen Burton go off to uh, Zagreb. Donald Zagreb, yeah. Yeah, he's gone off to. So we've clearly got strength and depth coming in from the academy for a position that Santi would, uh, in theory, fill. So if he's coming in, he's coming in as a coach. The only thing I'd kind of wonder is you knew we know he was a massive joker in the dressing room, but that's not what you necessarily want from a coach. You know, we've just talked about Arteta's praises of how good a disciplinarian he is. Now, I can't see Santi being the same. He's going to be like the good cop to Arteta's bad cop. And we've already got Jumberg kind of doing that role of bringing the player, transitioning them from the academy and being that kind of uh, ear to those kind of players. I'm not sure what Santi kind of gives us from that anything extra other than he's just a great guy. But as Jay said, I don't want just great guys coming into my football club. We're Arsenal. We're a bit bigger than just getting nice people coming in. Mm, yeah, I think it's a good point. Carl, what about you? Where you yeah, stand on it? I'll sum it up quickly. I don't think we need a 35-year-old centre midfielder back in the squad. Sentiment is nice in football, but Arsenal at the moment, we don't have time for sentiment. We're currently in ninth position in the Premier League. A 35-year-old centre mid is not going to improve us no matter what way you look at it. If he wants to come as a coach, hopefully he has his, make sure he gets his coaching badges and then, yeah, if, if he's a good enough coach, then so be it. But as a player, absolutely not. Fair enough. Uh, that is all the listener questions so I think just left for some shout outs is that right gents yes uh, I will I guess no one's got their shout outs ready because I know I definitely haven't so uh, first one I will go to because Josh is shaking his head I'm going to go to you Simon because you're a journalist you should always be prepared uh, I'm going to take a different I'm going to shout out someone on the pod uh, I'm going to shout out our very own Mr <laughs> Davis Jace um for his fine work, um, we all know about our good friend Dave Gunaholic. Um, he had his funeral a couple of weeks ago, and uh, from everyone I speak to who was there and helping him do it a bit, uh, Jace gave a fantastic eulogy to him, befitting of the man. Um, and I just think, hats off to you, Jace, for everything you, you've done for him, as we all have. And um, yeah, I think a worthy, worthy shout out this week. Oh, cheers, Ned. Uh, Josh, who's your shout out? Uh, why do we always have to go after the really deep and meaningful one? And you know my <laughs> Josh gonna be a fucking Yours an apology to Tony Poulis for bludgeoning him to death or something. Actually, Josh, thank you for that. I was nearly gonna shed it to you there. So thank you. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, mate. That's all right. Yeah, Jay, she did all right. Cheers. No worries. Cheers, bro. Yeah. Um, oh, right, my shout out then for what it's fucking worth uh, <laughs> would be uh, to at 
AFH Stewart. Uh, that's Alex Stewart from um, Tifo Football because we have been chatting a little bit. Don't worry, guys. Uh, they don't want me. I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jace, who's yours? Uh, I'm going to give two this week. Noir Confidential. Great to have him back on, on Twitter and um, uh, contributing to the questions again. He's a, he's a stalwart of a, of a listener. And he's, he's part of the pod. Um, and then there's Sunny M, which is at SS Mudhar, M-U-D-H-A-R, 1986. Um, Sunny always listens, listens to the live show regularly. So shout out for those two wrong ends. And, okay. and, and thank you, Simon. Thank you. Good. Uh, I'm going to have two as well just because I can. Uh, one is to Danny. I'm not going to go deep and meaningful. Uh, Danny does a lot of work for this. He, he moans a lot. Don't get it wrong. He, Danny moans and moans and moans because he's a miserable bastard. But he does do a lot. And to say thank you for everything you do, Danny, uh, he's still uh, an idiot. And my next one is also to Jimmy R. That's DCU underscore Guna. Um, he, he's a good boy. He, I've never known. He watches, I think, just as much football as Chris Carpenter does. He he's watches every single game and he knows everything. So, uh, shout out to Jimmy R. He's superb. He, is. He's he even goes drunk. to games as well. That's the mad thing. Someone who watches that much football also goes to games. Yeah, he's, he, but, he's watches a lot. And yeah, that's him. Right. That is uh, your lot, listeners. Uh, thank you to everyone. Thank you to all me. you listener questions. Bear with me. Live show this week, Olympiacos. After the game, it's our Josh hosting. Then he's joined by Ellis and Gav from She War. Oh, no, Who's Look Ellis? Out. You go herding cats. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> shoot, right. shoot, uh, marry, snog, bludgeon to death. Josh <laughs> Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> Can I choose on that one? <laughs> Can I get a choice in this? Oh, gosh. Right, so all that's left to say is uh, thank you, Jason. Yeah, great. I've really enjoyed this, boys. It's been a long time supporting you with you three reprobates, so that's been thoroughly pre- pleasurable. Oh, good. Uh, Josh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a long old podcast. Check it out. Danny's going to be going ape shit. Hour okay. and 45 minutes. I know, but nice. to be honest, fuck Danny, innit? <laughs> and journalism royalty, Simon, thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you, guys. It's been very, very enjoyable and a great laugh. And all I have to say is see you next time. Happy listening and goodbye. And Jason, press that button. Oh, see? also, sorry, hashtag fuck Ellis. Somebody's <laughs> going to say it. Somebody's going to say switch this shit off. Switch the sit off, Jason, and see you all next Tuesday. No, Thursday. Day after tomorrow. Or see you next tomorrow. It all works. <laughs> I'm all calling you cunts. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.